Hello, and welcome to Wildwood Publications. I will now read the blurb for the new novel, Manifesto. A young English mycologist, with a passion for truth and science, is somewhat apprehensively looking for his place in society and life after a youth of bullying and domestic troubles. When the Russian CEO of AI Corp prepares for an invasion by a multi-planetary species through the development of artificial intelligence, Sean is contacted by a hidden fungal alliance. Now, with the help of his mentor and the fungal beings, he has to surpass human limits to stop the invasion and save the lives of his friend, family, and ultimately, all mankind. Chapter 1. Freckle Face Sir, with all due respect, I don't think combining the database of Google with our AI is safe, said Maki Yuji, the chief engineer of AI Corps. Despite the fact that the company was one of the world's leaders in AI development, very few had ever heard of it. The engineer tried to continue when the CEO, Timur Petrov, interrupted him. I didn't ask for your opinion. Kurva. He paused for a bit longer than necessary, just to make Maki even more uncomfortable. He then took out a Cuban cigar, and while he was cutting its edge, he continued. You know, Maki, I get sick to my stomach when I see people as gifted as you are throw away their potential because of fear. He didn't really care about his potential, nor was he especially fond of his talent. You don't even look me in the eye when I talk to you. Is that polite for you English people? His Russian accent was notable. He deliberately used his stare to impose his will on submissive employees. Maki apologized and lifted his gaze from the floor to try and look at him, but it didn't last longer than a few seconds. Timur told the engineer to update the rest of the team and proceed with the merge. Google's database amounted to more data than had ever been recorded in the entire history of mankind, and that was just in 221. By the year 223, it almost doubled. The span of readily available information was growing exponentially. Timur was not only aware of that, but he was hoping and scheming for it. He also knew that the larger the database and AI was trained on, the more powerful it became. Although sentience, which is what he was striving for, was not merely attained by large databases, a lot of programming was still necessary until they would be able to create a conscious AI, but he knew it was possible. Thanks to the vast amount of companies to try to push the boundaries, there was no telling how fast things were evolving. They could only see ahead of their own project, but not the bigger picture. The necessary parts for it were already being coded all around the world. Things could come together much faster than anyone expected. Maybe too fast. He sat in his high back executive leather chair and puffed his cigar as he stared at the city of Manchester from above. So deep in thought, Embers fell on his suit and smoldered a hole. A regular English family would have to work a whole year to be able to afford such a suit. He was a retired Russian special forces officer and owner of vast lands in eastern parts of Russia. He also looked like it. He was bald, had thick eyebrows, a round chin, and a set of blue, tired, baggy eyes. The type of eyes that have seen too much.
he was always perfectly shaved and his cologne was heavy. The typical old man smell. His shoulders, chest and neck were so wide he almost resembled an animal rather than a human. He moved to England because of the lack of good engineers and software developers in Russia. Not long after his arrival, he married Karen Trivet, an ex-accountant and mother of Vincent, who was five at the time. Now she was merely his housewife and personal accountant. As far as their relationship went, he couldn't care less. He only married her so that he would be permitted to live and work in England. Sometimes when Karen pressed the wrong buttons, he stopped and gave her a look that would send chills down anyone's spine. There is a difference between the look in the eyes of a man who has never killed and one who has. It was murderous, and he meant it. He was pulled out of his daydream when his phone rang. While other countries were focused on developing AIs that were able to create illustrations or well-written text, China was all about coding. People of the West had always assumed that if anywhere in the world, then China had to be the place where all the mad, forbidden and fucked up signs went down. This time, it was spot on. The goal was to teach artificial intelligence how to code itself, for that would result in explosive growth, also called singularity. This goal went hand in hand with Timur's obsession with creating consciousness. It would significantly increase Timur's progress. On the other hand, China would have done anything to get its hands on Google's databases. He obtained the database in a way you'd expect an ex-special forces officer to go about his business. Connections, blackmailing and mugging. Some would think he was attracted to the notion of playing God. But it was nothing as shallow as an attempt to cover up one's own insecurities and insufficiencies the classic inferiority complex. Rather, it was for his lack of humanity. The Timur who once lived in that body was long gone. Sean, tell me, did you ever give ideas a second thought? Said Pat Spragans, head of the mycology department at Manchester University, smoking his red sandalwood pipe in the office, despite the strict prohibition. The pipe was handmade and had carved ornaments on its side, which Sean could have only described as fungal warriors, men with mushrooms growing out of their bodies. Mr. Spragans was in his late 60s, and his middle-long, wavy hair, as well as his generous beard, were grey. However, some of the hair was turning white, which made it look dirty. He had thick eyebrows, also grey, and his nose was bulbous and voluminous. Sean always thought he must be getting a lot of air through that pipe. He had a lot of wrinkles and his light blue eyes were sitting on top of big bags. He had an old pair of glasses with brownish frames, which complemented the brown vest he always wore. He also wore a sapphire blue shirt under his vest, which went really well with his hair and eyes. Sean wasn't sure whether it was by accident or by Mr. Spragging's design. He doesn't seem like the type to care, for anything else than mushrooms, that is. The smoke was rather mellow and had a pleasant plum scent. The office wasn't too spacious, but there was enough space to walk around without bumping into things. The part of the building they were sitting in had its exterior overgrown with vines, 
which were visible through the half-open window shades. A few sun rays seeped through and illuminated the dancing smoke. The shelves were decorated with various wooden statues, most of which had something to do with fungi. Sean had taken a special liking to a weird one. On its label it said, The Fumungus, a fungal ogre with tiny eyes and a tiny mouth. Its body was smooth and its proportions were round and chubby. Despite its creepiness, it came off as cute. Sean had a fascination for speculative biology and couldn't help but ponder what-if questions. During their work in the lab, they often talked about what organisms would exist on Earth-like planets. Sean and Ruby, his best friend, were standing next to the door with their backpacks. They came to get a signature for a course. When he first started working with Mr. Spragans, he immediately felt admiration for him. Mr. Spragans' lectures were goofy and strange, but somehow he felt that mycologists should be that way. They had worked together during the course, but their relationship was still too fresh for Sean to know what Mr. Spragans thought about him. He felt unsure and insecure about whether Mr. Spragans felt he had potential or was working hard enough. However, Mr. Spragans' playful demeanor eased him. What do you mean? Sean replied. Well, where do ideas come from? Ever thought about it? Mm, no, not really. Never mind the ramblings of an old man, Mr. Spragans said in chortle, as he always did. Sean felt he should have said at least something, which he probably would have if it wasn't for how self-conscious he was. Anyways, thank you for the signature, Mr. Spragans, said Sean. See you on Monday? Sure. Don't forget the report you owe me. I won't. Have a good weekend. Before they left, Mr. Spragans added. Oh, and Sean? Yes? Please call me Pat, or I'll go mad if I hear Mr. Spragans one more time. Then he quickly added although I might be already, and laughed with his raspy thin voice, which then turned into a cough. Sean nodded. When they left and walked down the hallway, Sean stared absently at the floor. He felt happy about the request to call Mr. S, that's what he called him in his head, by his name because it meant they were getting closer, but he still felt uneasy about the question he asked him. Where do ideas come from? What did he mean by that? It was just a simple question, but somehow very fundamental. A scientist, whose bread and butter it is to validify sources and information, should have at least once thought about the origin of ideas. A part of him that wanted to become a solid scientist felt it got exposed. Deep in thought, he overheard Ruby's question. Sean? Earth calling Sean. She shoved him. Sorry. The question he asked was bothering me. He replied. Are you going back to Galley, or are you staying at the dorm? I don't know. After a moment of contemplation, he added, Well, I guess I could go see Granny. Man, you're gone today, I swear. Ruby laughed and asked, Wanna catch the train with me? I guess. Just let me get my stuff from the dorm first. Yeah, I'll head to the station. Have to drop a letter in the mail first, she replied. Sure. They parted ways when she turned around and shot at him. And don't be late again. I'll try, he replied and smirked. He was making his way to the dormitory over Cavendish Street 
which was right next to All Saints Park, where all the students walked from class to class or rested on the grass. It was late summer, and the temperature started to sink. However, it was still warm enough to hang out in a shirt. Usually, when he passed a ton of commuting students, he felt uneasy. Everyone is looking for something. They travel the world to look for it. But what is it? Is it meaning? Is it a person? Is it experience? Most never went the distance to discover their true selves if it wasn't for a near-death experience, the unexpected loss of a loved one, or other transformative and deeply painful events. Yet here he was, walking down the street, clueless that such a thing was about to happen to him as well. He was like one of those animals, in one of those experiments, where they put a mirror in the middle of a forest. Some of the animals attacked their reflection immediately, just like some people would. However, some animals looked intently and pondered. They knew something was off, but couldn't figure it out, as if trapped by some invisible boundary. Sean was one of those animals, seeing his reflection in everyone else around him. He couldn't get to the bottom of it. Nonetheless, he never gave in. He kept thinking and knocking on those boundaries, relentlessly and obsessively, to the point of madness. At times he felt he was going mad. And maybe he was, but he couldn't help it. Breaking through that barrier was what was going to change his life for good. Fuck, I'm late. He scrambled all the necessary papers for his assignment and shoved them into his binder pocket. Underpants, socks, outdoor clothes, inner clothes, and toothbrush. He ran from side to side assembling his collection. He picked up some shorts, smelled them, and threw them back. Usually he wasn't the messy type, but he struggled with doing his laundry a lot. His room was rather small, but had all the bare necessities. Nothing too fancy. Once he had everything, he put on his leather sneakers and took the steps by two to three at once. Descending the last staircase, he slipped and barely caught himself by the railing. The hot sweat that ran down his forehead turned cold. His wavy, middle-long, brown hair bathed in it. He ran for his life around the block down Cambridge Street, where the last few passengers were getting into the train. Ruby stood at the entrance of one of the wagons and held lookout for Sean. I told him not to be late. Sean ran as fast as he could. His backpack was swinging on his back and he heaved like a racehorse. Ruby caught sight of him as she heard the conductor's whistle. Fuck, 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 fuck. I can make it, I can make it. Sean thought as he made his way through the pedestrians. Watch out, idiot. One of them yelled. Fortunately, the conductor stood in front of the same wagon that Ruby stood in. Would you please hold on for a few seconds more? She pleaded. Do you see that guy sprinting over there? He's coming in. The conductor took a look, smirked, and without saying anything, waited another 15 seconds for Sean to make it. Aren't you a lucky one? If it wasn't for your friend over here, you'd be at the other side of the train now. Thank you so much, Sean muffled, catching his breath. Ruby stood there with her arms folded and a triumphant told-you-so expression. Sean looked at her while he tried to recover, leaning against the railing. It'd be a hell of a lot easier to be friends with her if she wasn't so goddamn beautiful, he thought. Then added, but somehow also not. How does all that anger fit into that small body of yours? 
Sean threw a jab. Ruby was probably a head smaller than Sean. Albeit, she wasn't that tiny either. You're only so tall, so that you can fit all that extra dumb inside of you, I'd say. She countered. They both laughed and relished it, as always. Then he looked at her with a sincere smile and said, Thank you. Let's go find our seats. I got you a ticket too, so you owe me. He thanked her again. Sean preferred sitting at the window, but he got the short end of the stick this time. They sat in a double seat, not the four seat type. Sean acted as if he was over the whole Ruby thing. He even believed it. Ruby was his first genuine love, and maybe because they were both so young, it was also the purest. He told her he loved her on the evening of Ruby's 12th birthday. Things got awkward from there on, and they went their own way for a few years. But up until that point, they were quite inseparable. New Galloway wasn't a big place and neither of them did well with the kids from the neighborhood. Both of them found solace in each other's company. They spent warm summer evenings on a swing at one of the playgrounds and talked and laughed until late in the night. If it wasn't on the swing, they'd talk through Skype until one of them passed out. I was the only one she ever let this close, he reflected. So much so that at one point she let him read her diary. What he read there startled him, for she wrote she loved him. In big letters too. Young as he was, he almost caught a fever from the excitement he felt after reading it. He couldn't help but take his chance. Now with some distance, he felt that by telling her about his feelings, he took the only healthy relationship away from her. He felt a deep pain inside his heart. It wasn't his, it was Ruby's. Once they accidentally bumped into each other again, both fully grown, they immediately clicked as if no time had passed and hung out again. Whether by design or chance, they were going to the same university. They hadn't talked about the love confession, but both acted as if it never happened. Now they sat next to each other, and the space was rather limited. Occasionally, Ruby's thigh touched Sean's. Utterly aware of it, and definitely not disliking it either, Sean felt torn. Should I pull away? Is she aware of it? Is she doing it on purpose? What if it ruins our friendship again? He kept it there. What he liked most about her was her long and straight hair, her heart-shaped lips and sage-green eyes. They resembled each other a bit. Both were somewhat pale and freckled. Sean's vibrant brown hair wasn't a far fetch from red, and his light green eyes looked similar. However, rubies were more grayish than green. They could have been siblings. Her chest wasn't flat, but not generous either. But to make up for it, she had strong legs and hips. He always thought that if one saw her in the forest, she'd look like a fairy. Likewise, if one saw her at the coast, she'd look like a siren. Her close connection with nature made him doubt sometimes. She might as well be one. So, freckle face. She started a conversation. What's bothering you? At first Sean thought of the thigh thing and got a little heart attack, but played it cool. What do you mean? He said. You've been staring into empty space far too much, even for you. He realized and felt a bit silly. Well, don't feel like seeing the old man, nor the house. She didn't say anything. Also, Granny has not been doing well lately. 
After a short pause, he continued. I'd like to see her before she's gone, you know. How much does she have? Not much. He stared into the seat in front of him. Two months ago, they said half a year. She leaned her head on his shoulder for a moment, then regretted it because Sean was soaked in sweat. New Galloway was a rural town, didn't even have a train connection. However, it had its charm. On sunny days as this one was, the fields shone in bright green. The mild breeze made the leaves dingle and dazzle, and the well-taken-care-of houses and lawns gave it character. Sean and Ruby got out of the bus in somewhat better spirit, both happy to see the scenery they so loved. Anywhere they looked, they'd have a memory to bring up, such as scouting Miss Fraley's, the local news, backyard, or taking care of lost kittens. They both stopped for a moment and took it in. I miss this in the city, said Sean. You don't get this anywhere but in Galley. Want to meet at the swing this weekend? Ruby asked. Yeah, it'd be nice. After a moment of contemplation, Ruby gave Sean a caring look and said, Don't drown. Then she added, If you do, hit me up. She gave him a one-armed hug and went in the opposite direction. He also made his way home and absorbed his surroundings. The heavy heart he had made him appreciate the good things more, oddly enough. He took a deep breath. He couldn't think only so much before his head started to buzz, but felt rejuvenated by the fresh air. So nice. Almost tickles my lungs a bit. Didn't take long until his mind started to pace again. His anxiety came back when he thought of what evaded him at home. He shook his head as if trying to shake off the thoughts when Mr. S popped up in his mind. Ever gave ideas a second thought? Ever gave ideas a second thought? He imitated him. What did he mean? I swear the old man is like Rafiki from The Lion King. Wouldn't be surprised if he had a tail waggling from under his lap coat. Then he laughed out loud. I'd really want a tail too. He tried to think about it systematically. Okay, there are two options. Either ideas are man-made, meaning I am the source of the idea, or they aren't. The second one seemed too irrational to even consider. However, after all those magic mushrooms he ate, he was rather open to irrational. He now pictured society and how great thinkers and scientists became obsessed with an idea and readily gave away decades of their life chasing it. He saw artists. Now artists are really odd, he finished aloud. They are constantly swimming in a pool of ideas, pulling them by their feet, trying to manifest them in the material world. Scientists are bound by laws, by logic, by protocols. Artists are limitless. Although, limitations can also be used as tools to bring forth beauty. Well, they are limited by their capabilities. Where am I going with this? He said out loud again. It was not unusual for him to talk to himself. It helped him think. He started to think of society and people again, trying to see the bigger picture. Ideologies. He nodded to himself. 
Why do people get so obsessed with ideas? Then he thought of religion. Maybe they need something to believe in. Maybe life is too much to bear without belief. Then he thought of monasteries and how corrupted they became over time. How people were manipulated and exploited in the name of God. Isn't that what our governments are doing? Aren't people with firm beliefs constantly exploited? As if the belief, the ideology, were a handle? A grip? He felt he was getting somewhere. He was so deep in thought he almost ran into a lamppost. As he recovered from the close call, he noticed a bright green shield buck on his sleeve. Well, look at you, Mr. Smellybug. Pralomena prasina, he thought, which was the Latin for it. He took it on his finger and extended it towards the grass, which grew abundantly on each side of the road. The bug didn't budge. Sorry to bug you. He laughed, then continued. May you consider taking a leave? Or a leaf? He laughed again. God, I'm horrible. The buck flew away, and in disappointment in himself, he said, Right, they can fly. Nice try, Woodward. Which was his surname. Almost home, he tried to finish his analysis. Where was I? Right. Ideologies as a handle to manipulate. He thought for a moment and imagined masses of people being drawn by an idea. A set of words or images. Oddly powerful, he thought. If those weren't man-made, that'd be... Creepy as hell. He finished aloud again. He now stood in front of his house. It was a sunny day, but now he felt like there was a cloud above him. The house wasn't visible from the road, for it was at the end of the crooked path, which was covered in lush green. Bushes, tall grass and trees. One of the bushes had vibrant yellow flowers on it. The yard was separated from the road with a wooden fence. It was more symbolic than useful, for it reached maybe up to the waist. Sean's steps felt heavier the closer he got. It was a typical orange brick house with brown clay tiles and a chimney on the roof. He could see the curtains were closed. He didn't like when people blocked the sun from coming in. Somehow places like that always made him uncomfortable. There was a saying he thought of now. Where the sun can't reach, the doctor goes for a visit. He was about to knock on the door when his mother opened. Hey, try to be silent. He just fell asleep. She interrupted him. Welcome, my beloved son. I missed you so much. Would have been too unrealistic anyways, he thought. She wore a blood-red sweater and sweatpants. Her hair was chocolate brown and long, and unlike Sean's, her eyes were bright blue. However, it was apparent who Sean inherited his freckles from. She was in her mid-forties, rather slim, and wore an expression of sleeplessness. Two silver heart-shaped earrings and a big silver braided necklace with a cross decorated her. He took a step in and felt like he entered the cave of a troll. It was indeed dark inside. The air was stale and smelled like old furniture. To the left was the kitchen and to the right the living room. Sean's room was upstairs. He took his shoes off and as he walked in he could see that Willie, their parakeet, was covered with a blanket again. Sean's father, Elmer, used to cover the cage to make the bird shut up. Idiot. 
he could see his father's legs and an empty beer bottle laying on the floor from behind the wall as he slept in the single-seater. He took another step when the wooden boards gave a loud creak. Both, Sean and his mom already knew by heart which tiles not to step on. In the same instance, his mother, Christine, twitched, stopped in her tracks and gave Sean a what-the-fuck-did-I-tell-you look mixed with terror. She covered her face with her palm, trying to collect some strength. When the old man grunted, their blood pressures spiked. It seemed that his father did not wake up because he had not moved, but both knew that wasn't the case. Sean was still in high school when he learned that his father was acting. Poorly too. While Sean and his mom used to prepare their breakfasts to leave their homes, Elmer, after a gallon of booze, was still asleep in a single-seater. They had to walk on tiptoes from the moment they got up out of bed until they left home. If they didn't, they were reminded by a moan or grunt. After some time, the grunts felt like whip slashes eating into him. Sean hadn't noticed the absurdity of the situation until one morning. Sean's mother, Christina, couldn't take it anymore and switched from ninja to casual mode. He gave his mother an anxious, almost terrified look as to why she was so careless. He is not asleep, she said. He's just acting. When Sean came home, something about his mother's smile was off. Then he noticed. Despite the thick layer of makeup, she had a black eye. He felt the extent of psychological damage done to him only when he was at a sleepover at a friend's house and cringed every time he heard a light switch turned off or a door shut carelessly. However, Sean was too old and way too sick of this by now. He knew just too well the games his father was playing. He felt a ball of rage swelling in his chest, and before he knew it, he took a brisk step and entered the living room. Could you stop with the fucking acting? He shouted. And what about the fucking windows? He opened the blinds and shoved the curtains aside. I will warn you only once, slurred Elmer with a deep voice. Watch your mouth. Sean turned around and looked at him. He still laid in the single-seater and watched him with one eye half open and his head leaning back. Elmer was about to be 60 and had a full beard and wavy, fatty black hair. He wore a green button shirt and worn-out jeans. However, what ticked off Sean the most was the look in Elmer's eyes. It wasn't malicious, nor resentful. It was full of sorrow. Yeah, or what? Are you gonna hit me? Sean countered immediately. Elmer never touched the kids, but part of Sean wanted to get hit. He wanted a reason to hate him. He wanted to feed the voices telling him his father didn't love him. If he would, he wouldn't be drinking, said one of the voices in Sean's head. Do you know how fucking tired I am? Every time I come home, it's like this. Tears rolled down his face. The look in his eyes fierce and painful with no sign of fear. He clenched his jaw and pressed his trembling lips together, not able to hold back the rage. There is darkness in the human soul, Sean. Don't drown in it. There is darkness in this whole fucking house since that day. Don't. Elmer interrupted him. Don't go there. His lower lip shaking. He, too, 
had a fierce look in his eyes now. Sean? His mother said with a snap out of it voice. He turned and saw his eight-year-old brother, Will, standing on the staircase. Hey, buddy, he said with a calmer voice and wiped his tears. Why are you crying? Will asked. Mom said she'll make the chocolate fudge for us tonight. I couldn't hold it back. He switched from fierce to silly and gentle instantly. Really, Mom? Will brightened up. Sean's and his mother's eyes met. Her eyes, now merely slits, glared a hole into his soul. After an extended second or two, she also switched moods. Really? Yay, chocolate! But only because Sean promised to vacuum and do the dishes for the day. She now had a huge smirk on her face. He realized he was outclassed and gave her a look of sourness, but also admiration. Both boys went, ow, when she pinched them in their cheeks. That was unnecessary, Sean said. But why me, though? Will protested. Christine burped and gave a fiendish laugh. Ew, they commented in sync. Sean, I'll need some eggs and butter. You'll have to fetch them if you want the fudge. Yeah, I'll go. Somewhat excited to take in nature again. Wanna come with, buddy? Hell yeah, Will replied. Sean, Elmer said, standing in the light-filled living room. Sean's smile faded, but instead of anger, he now wore remorse in his chest. He came a bit closer to take the conversation away from Will and Christine. Their eyes met. Yeah, we should talk, Elmer said. Sean nodded, disgusted by the boost breath. We can go for a walk in the evening. Sean nodded again, feeling that the conversation was over and it'd be better to keep it discreet. He disengaged. On his way to the kitchen, he uncovered Willie, the parakeet, and saw that the cage was in a sorry state. We'll get you clean today. He tried to interact with him, but traumatized as the bird was, he was met with hisses. Poor guy, you've probably not been outside for a long time he thought, then went to put his shoes on. Come on, Will, let's hit the road, got stuff to do today. Bill ran down the stairs, and they left. Well, that was chapter two. I hope you enjoyed. I've listened to it by myself now, and I've heard that the distinction between characters wasn't strong enough, and um, my pronunciation at certain places wasn't the best but i think overall it is listenable and i hope i can improve over time see you in the next chapter thank you for listening